and Philippians 2, 17-30. And Paul said, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. So this is going to be our passage for today. If you'd like, you can open your Bibles to Philippians 2, 17 to 30. And as I was preparing for this sermon... Uh, it really stood out to me just how important it was to Paul to focus on their attitudes. And this is something that we've come back to over and over again. But through the commentaries, uh, one commentator mentioned, you don't see a no parking sign unless somebody's been parking there that shouldn't be. You don't see a don't walk on the grass sign unless people have been walking on the grass. So when you see something that's don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and it's repeated, and it's often, and it's common, it's because there's a problem that he's addressing. And it has, Philippians is such a cheerful book. You feel as though it's, it's, it's just so focused on Christian character, and this Philippian church must be a wonderful place to go, because they get this wonderful book written to them. But uh, in my study this week, I realized, wow, this is a church that had real trouble. This is a church that likely had deep disunity and had people that were selfishly ambitious and, and, and were vying for position and authority one over the other. And this is what Paul is trying to address in this letter. So, so far we've seen that Paul models this in how he opens the letter. He doesn't use his own title. He could have puffed himself up, but he doesn't. Instead, he lifts up the Philippian church and, and mentions their titles. Um, he looks, he mentions um, the good things that they're doing, and he mentions his love for them and how he's motivated for love by love. He mentions petty pastors and people that are working for the gospel but have a, a poor motivation. And then he says how for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And his only reason for staying on earth and living so that he can serve them. And he mentions Christ and the example of Christ, that Christ did not put his eyes on his own selfish ambition, but lifted his eyes up to what the Father wanted and how he could serve others. And today we're going to have a really, I think, kind of a fun passage because it's looking at three 
uh, examples, three role models. And role models are just practical. You can, you can see yourself in these examples. And you can, th these are real life, living, breathing people. And so I'm looking forward to this passage. So the first thing that Paul says is he's trying to explain what it is. He's trying to lay out three examples of people, good people to follow. He's going to end this section by saying, hold men like him in high regard. Hold men like this in high regard. Look up to these sorts of people because who you look up to is who you're going to end up emulating. We become what we worship. We become what we venerate. So look up to people like this. And the first example he's going to use is himself. And he says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So Paul is being very honest and saying, I'm going through a hard time and I have gone through a hard time. I've suffered for you and for your faith. The Philippian church saw this firsthand in Acts 16 when Paul came to Macedonia because of the Macedonian call. If you've read the book of Acts, it wasn't smooth sailing in the, in the city of Philippi. He was able to establish a church, but pretty soon he got in trouble with a leading family in the town because he healed a young girl who had, uh, who had special powers due to an evil spirit. He was mobbed, he was arrested, he was stripped and beaten. Uh, he was in prison with his feet in the stocks. Now, there was an earthquake and, and there was the whole thing where the jailer got converted. But after that, he was still chased out of town. And so this was a difficult time for Paul. And the Philippians had seen this and it was because of this that they were able to have faith that they were able to have a church, that they, that they knew about Jesus and that they had this peace in their lives. So when he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, they know something about that. They know something about the sacrifice. And this metaphor of being poured out, I've thought about this uh, a lot in my study. What does this mean? Well, I think there's a basic image. If you, if you think of a cup of water, this is water, it's not coffee, it's water. And if you have a cup full of water, it's a lot of potential. You know, I could turn this into coffee, and then it would be even better. I could turn it into a loaf of bread, right? I could mix it with other ingredients and make bread out of it. I could water a plant and bring life. I could drink it. There's, you know, I could mix it with clay and make a craft with the kids. There's so many things I could do with this water. It's, it's untapped potential. But once I pour it out on the ground, it's done. There is no untapped potential. One of the possible futures has been realized, and this is now what it is. It's now wet ground. It's now been used. So he's being poured out. His life, his years, his energy, his health is being poured out. He had potential. Now he doesn't. Now it's poured out. And also this is a drink offering. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, often there was wine poured on top of the sacrifices. And Paul says, this is what my life is. I'm being poured out on top of the sacrifice. And the sacrifice is you. I'm pouring myself out into you. This could lead, lead to a heavy place of guilt. Look how much Paul has sacrificed for us. Wow, that's, that really lays a lot of obligation on us. We really need to work hard. We really need to 
make, um, make him proud or earn it. If you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan that came out in the late 90s, this World War II epic film, all about this, this soldier in the army of World War II that got rescued at the price of eight people giving up their lives for this person. And the real key scene of this movie is towards the end of the film, there's an old man weeping at a tombstone. And because the last thing that one soldier said before he gave up his life to save this Private Ryan was, earn it, earn it. And, and how do you earn the life of somebody else? How do you live your life in a manner worthy of the, the sacrifice of somebody else? And this became this burden, this, this weight that the soldier carried with tears for the rest of his life. This is not the direction that Paul takes it. This is not the direction that he goes with the Philippian church. He doesn't say, look, I did this, you guys better do this, or else I'll be disappointed. He doesn't do that. It's not a heavy thing. He says, rather, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. How can it be a joyful thing to pour out your life? How can it be a joyful thing to go from potential, untapped potential, to realized um, potential and to, to be poured out? Well, it's because he cares about them. Because he has genuinely, sincerely put their interests above his own. It's like any parent does for their child, right? We, we love pouring ourselves out into our children. We love to see them grow. We love to see them thrive. And there's nothing that gives us greater joy than to see them embracing life and being good, decent human beings. It's the same as a teacher that dedicates their years to their students. And then they see their students rise and, and take flight and leave and be better people. It's the same as perhaps a reformer or somebody that brings social change or a great artist that invests into society and into other people and wants to see things improve and be better. This is what Paul is saying. I rejoice that I pour myself out. This is a good thing. I've enjoyed it. N no, that's not right. Not necessarily that he enjoys it, but it, it gives meaning to his life, to have poured out his life into somebody else. Look, our years are going to be poured out anyways. We might as well pour them out on someone, into something else. Because you can't stop the years from going somewhere, but you can make the years count for something. And that's what Paul did, and that's why he has joy and purpose in his life. And so what does he urge them to do? He doesn't lay a heavy burden of guilt on them. He says, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. How do you honor the sacrifice of those who have gone before? Through a joyful life through being all that you can be, living all that you can be, passing on the joy as much as you can. Live your lives under a burden of joy. Your parents and your mentors and those who've gone before want you to live in joy. So do it. Live in joy through Jesus Christ. So Paul wants us to look at him as an example. That's how this section ends. And so this is what he said about himself, but let's look at a broader context of what we can know about Paul. Paul is a larger than life sort of a person. He has had so much, such an impact on society that we still feel the reverberations of his life today. He had a world-class education, which included being tutored by Gamaliel, 
who is still considered one of the most influential Jewish thinkers. We know a lot about him through secular history. Paul had a powerful testimony, including this period of time when he was throwing Christians in jail. He met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He met the risen Christ. He had this dramatic conversion experience. He had personal face-to-face meetings with Paul and James, the leaders of the early church, and they extended to him the right hand of fellowship, confirming his gospel, his message. He was known and specifically mentioned by Peter as a writer of scripture. He was the instigator of the first church council. Uh, in, In the book of Acts, it talks about how they met and they discussed circumcision. If you've heard of something like the Vatican II or uh, the Council of Trent, these are also church councils. And the first church council was because of Paul and the discussion that he wanted to have about circumcision. He wrote more books in the New Testament than than any other author. He planted more churches than any other (coughs) apostle, including the Philippian church. So this is a big person. This is a big personality. This is a big testimony. This is a big, um, larger-than-life sort of a person. He is larger-than-life, he is charismatic, and he is the father of this church. So that's one person we can, we can learn from, we can, we can look to. What's a second person that we can learn from? The second person that Paul puts forward is Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy, so that I might also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. So here's what Paul says about Timothy. He's one of a kind. There's nobody else that I have like Timothy. He's a very special person. Why? Because he's a kindred spirit of Paul. He does not operate from selfish ambition. Here again is this little mention of people that are doing the right thing, that are preaching the gospel, that are Christians, but they're operating out of selfish ambition. And he says, I have a lot of people like that, that I could have sent you. But I'm sending you Timothy instead because he genuinely cares about you and he's operating out of a genuine concern for your well-being. And here again we hear this echo of the same theme that he wants to drive home to the Philippian church. He has proven worth. Timothy was there when Paul and Silas got thrown into prison. It's just mentioned at the beginning of the passage. That's that's where it started for Timothy. He signed up for this journey, and then the next thing you know, he's going to Philippi, and he's going into jail. He did not give up. Another traveling companion that Paul had was John Mark, who likely wrote the Gospel of Mark. But early on, Paul and, and Barnabas took John Mark along, And the road got too rocky for John Mark, and he went back home. But not Timothy. Timothy kept with it. He was younger. It was was a lot, but he didn't give up. He has proven worth, and he serves Paul like a child serving his father. And since Paul can't come, he wants to send Timothy. And it's for him like a father sending his beloved child in his place. So what are some other things we can know about Timothy from other parts of the New Testament? We know that he had a weak constitution and probably a a weaker digestion, perhaps pointing to something like anxiety and stress causing, you know, kind of poor digestion. He was younger. He was often intimidated. Paul had to say, don't let anybody look down on you for your youth. 
but be an example to everyone. So again, if there's a signpost there, there's probably because there's a problem. Don't let anyone look down on you. He likely could get intimidated easily. Uh, again, Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if this signpost is telling us anything, it's that perhaps Paul, Timothy struggled with fear, with insecurity, and perhaps with an unsound mind of, of stress and anxiety and and anxious thoughts. However, in spite of this, in spite of the fact that he's not physically very strong, in spite of the fact that he's not emotionally very strong, he's somebody that knows how to stick with it. He's somebody that doesn't give up. And he's somebody that has a genuinely good heart. And Paul can say, I have nobody else like him who will genuinely... um, who, is gen- who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Here's somebody that has a good heart, that's kind and caring. So here's our second example. First one was Paul, larger than life, the father, the planter of the church. Second one is Timothy. He's not physically or emotionally impressive. He's a kind, pastoral, caring person. And he's like a son or a disciple of Paul. Then there's the third example that Paul gives us. But I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So the context here is that the Philippian church wanted to give a gift to Paul, and they chose somebody from the congregation, and they sent the gift with Epaphroditus to Paul. Along the way, Epaphroditus got very sick and he almost died, but he got restored to health. Now that he's healthy again, he did help Paul for a time, but he's, he's heard that the, the church back in Philippi is worried about him. And so he's distressed about that. He's, he's concerned that the church is worried about him and he wants to go back to tell them, hey guys, I'm fine, stop worrying about me. So that's the context. What can we know about Epaphroditus? This is the only place in scriptures that Epaphroditus is mentioned. But Paul gives us a lot of information about him right here. Just just by looking at that story, we can tell a few things about him. We know that he's a fairly healthy person. Travel at that time would have been something where you wouldn't pick somebody sickly necessarily to do it. Um, He had some sort of wealth, or at least he could take time off his job. He probably had some sort of financial security. He's a man of action. He's on the go. He's moving. And when they looked around to to pick somebody to go, Epaphroditus is the one that they chose. And now that he's there with Paul, he wants to go back to Philippi. He's, He's somebody that's on the go. Epaphroditus is a man with a big heart. He was longing for you all. And he was distressed when he heard that you were sick. He's somebody that... He cares about other people. He cared enough about Paul to volunteer for this mission 
and to go take time and to risk himself to go see Paul. Now that he's with Paul, he cares enough about the Philippian church that he wants to go back and be with them and care about them. Something that's really interesting about Epaphroditus that I notice here, well, two things. One thing is that there's no mention of Epaphroditus teaching. There's no mention of Epaphroditus preaching. And with Timothy, it's mentioned that he's participating in the gospel. But Epaphroditus, he is a worker. He is a soldier. And he is Paul's brother. But there's no mention that he's actually preaching the gospel. This is somebody that empowers other people. But he himself is not necessarily engaging in that work. And this is somebody that is a connecting person. The, the key verse for Epaphroditus is verse 25, where Paul just packs all these metaphors together. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So we have five things here in one verse that all refer to Epaphroditus. And the first thing that I notice about all these words is that they're all connected to somebody else. They're all connected to somebody else. He is a brother. He is a fellow soldier. He is a fellow worker. Of who? Of Paul. He is Paul's brother. He is Paul's fellow worker. He is Paul's fellow soldier. His, his ministry, his, his way of contributing is to join somebody else and to double their efforts. He's not like Paul that's off blazing a trail all by himself. Epaphroditus finds somebody like Paul or like the Philippian church and says, how can I help you? How can I make your impact even more so. And for the Philippian church, he is your messenger. He is your minister to my need. So this is somebody that is sent by the, the Philippian church. The Philippian church knew that they could send this guy. They knew he would be faithful with the money. They knew that he could make the journey. They knew that, that he would be a blessing when he got there. He's a connecting person. He's somebody that blesses others. He's somebody that serves others with his strength and with the energy that he has. And he seems to have a lot of energy and a big heart within him. So Epaphroditus is a man of action. He's a brother to many. He has a big heart and he has a big capacity to serve others. So we have these three people that we can look to. As Paul says, hold men like this in high regard. We can look to three people. Paul, who is like a father and the founder and lives a bigger-than-life sort of a ministry. Timothy, who is like the son of Paul, who is kind and tender-hearted and uh, has a pastoral heart. And Epaphroditus, who is a man of action, who is a brother to many and has a big capacity to serve others. So what should we say about this? How can we summarize all three of these people? It says, hold men like this in high regard. What do they all have in common? For one thing, they all share the gospel. These are all people that care in one way or another about more people hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, about more people having God transform their lives and carrying out the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul speaks about elsewhere. These are all people that are sharing the gospel in one way or another. These are not all people that are trying to be Paul. But this is really important to say because perhaps sometimes we feel that pressure that I need to be out there being a Paul, planting a church, sharing the gospel, converting people, having that big larger-than-life ministry, changing the world. 
Not everybody has that call. But they all have some way that they're contributing to the sharing the gospel. And they all live the gospel. Not once in all these, what is it, 15 verses, is there any mention of selfish motivations. These are all people that are living their lives with passion. They are pouring out their years. They are pouring out their energies. They are pouring out their passion for somebody else, for the greater good of the kingdom, for the glory of God, and for the joy of all people. They genuinely care about others, and that's how they live. So this is really something that we can look to. Whatever we do, we can look into how we can share the gospel and also how we can live it in a way that glorifies God through our lives. So that's a good place to end. Let's just close and then we'll move on to the next part of the service. Lord, I thank you for people like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus who challenge us in their activity and their, the things they get done. But more importantly, they challenge us in their heart and how they care and how they put the needs and desires of others above and ahead of themselves. And I just pray that we can emulate that and especially, Lord, that you would show us when we are only motivated from selfish ambition and in a desire to push ourselves forward because that is just such um, a disgrace to you and to the gospel. I just pray that we can be like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus and genuinely care for others and put their interests above our own. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.